Chapter 10, Chapter 11 of The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila, translated and edited by E. Allison Pierce. Chapter 10 Once we have detached ourselves from the world and from our kinsfolk and are cloistered here, in the conditions already described, it must look as if we have done everything, and there is nothing left with which we have to contend. But, oh, my sisters, do not feel secure and fall asleep, or you'll be like a man who goes to bed quite peacefully after bolting all his doors for fear of thieves, when the thieves are already in the house. And you know there is no worse thief than the one who lives in the house. We ourselves are always the same, unless we take great care and each of us looks well to it that she renounces her self-will, which is the most important business of all. There will be many things to deprive us of the holy freedom of spirit, which our souls seek in order to soar to their maker, unburdened by the leaden weight of the earth. It will be a great help towards this if we keep constantly in our thoughts the vanity of all things and the rapidity with which they pass away, so that we may withdraw our affections from things which are so trivial and fix them upon what will never come to an end. This may seem a poor kind of help, but it will have the effect of greatly fortifying the soul. With regard to small things, we must be very careful, as soon as we begin to grow fond of them, to withdraw our thoughts from them and turn them to God. His Majesty will help us to do this. He has granted us the great favor of providing that, in this house, most of it is done already. But it remains for us to become detached from our own selves, and it is a hard thing to withdraw from ourselves and oppose ourselves, because we are very close to ourselves and love ourselves very dearly. It is here that true humility can enter. For this virtue and that of detachment from self, I think, always go together. They are two sisters who are inseparable. These are not the kinsfolk whom I counsel you to avoid. No, you must embrace them and love them and never be seen without them. Oh, how sovereign are these virtues! Mistresses of all created things, empresses of the world, are deliverers from all the snares and entanglements laid by the devil, so dearly loved by our teacher, Christ, who was never for a moment without them. He that possesses them can safely go out and fight all the united forces of hell and the whole world and its temptations. Let him fear none, for his is the kingdom of the heavens. There is none whom he need fear. For he cares nothing if he loses everything, nor does he count this as loss. His sole fear is that he may displease his God, and he begs him to nourish these virtues within him, lest he lose them through any fault of his own. These virtues, it is true, have the property of hiding themselves from one who possesses them in such a way that he never sees them, nor can believe that he has any of them even if he be told so. But he esteems them so much that he is forever trying to obtain them, and thus he perfects them in himself more and more. And those who possess them soon make the fact clear, even against their will, 
to any with whom they have intercourse. But how inappropriate it is for a person like myself to begin to praise humility and mortification when these virtues are so highly praised by the King of glory, a praise exemplified in all the trials he suffered. It is to possess these virtues, then, my daughters, that you must labor if you would leave the land of Egypt, for when you have obtained them, you will also obtain the manna. All things will taste well to you, however much the world may dislike their savor. To you they will be sweet. The first thing, then, that we have to do, and that at once, is to rid ourselves of love for this body of ours. And some of us pamper our nature so much that this will cause us no little labor, while others are so concerned about their health that the trouble these things give us, this is especially so for poor nuns, but it applies to others as well, is amazing. Some of us, however, seem to think that we embrace the religious life for no other reason than to keep ourselves alive, and each nun does all she can to that end. In this house, as a matter of fact, there is very little chance for us to act on such a principle. But I should be sorry if we even wanted to. Resolve, sisters, that it is to die for Christ and not to practice self-indulgence for Christ that we have come here. The devil tells us that self-indulgence is necessary if we are to carry out and keep the rule of our order. And so many of us, forsooth, try to keep our rule by looking after our health that we die without having kept it for as long as a month, perhaps even for a day. I really do not know what we are coming to. No one need be afraid of our committing excesses here by any chance. For as soon as we do any penances, our confessors begin to fear that we shall kill ourselves with them. We are so horrified at our own possible excesses, if only we were as conscientious about everything else. Those who tend to do the opposite extreme will, I know, not mind my saying this, nor shall I mind if they say I am judging others by myself, for they will be quite right. I believe, indeed, I am sure, that more nuns are of my way of thinking than are offended by me because they do just the opposite. My own belief is that it is for this reason that the Lord is pleased to make us such weakly creatures. At least he has shown me great mercy in making me so, for as I was sure to be self-indulgent in any case, he was pleased to provide me with an excuse for this. It is really amusing to see how some people torture themselves about it when the real reason lies in themselves. Sometimes they get a desire to do penances, as one might say, without rhyme or reason. They go on doing them for a couple of days, and then the devil puts into their heads that they have been doing themselves harm. So he makes them afraid of penances, after which they dare not do even those that the order requires. They have tried them once. They do not keep the smallest points of the rule, such as silence, which is quite incapable of harming us. Hardly have we begun to imagine that our heads are aching than we stay away from choir, though that would not kill us either. One day we are absent because we had a headache some time ago. 
another day because our head has just been aching again and on the next three days in case it should ache once more. Then we want to invent penances of our own with the result that we do neither the one nor the other. Sometimes there is very little the matter with us, yet we think that it should dispense us from all our obligations and that if we ask to be excused from them, we are doing all we need. Perhaps, but why, you will say, does the prioress excuse us? Perhaps she would not if she knew what was going on inside us. But she sees one of you wailing about a mere nothing as if your heart were breaking. And you come and ask her to excuse you from keeping the whole of your rule, saying it is a matter of great necessity. And when there is any substance in what you say, there is always a physician at hand to confirm it or some friend or relative weeping at your side. Sometimes the poor prioress sees that your request is excessive, but what can she do? She feels a scruple if she thinks she has been lacking in charity and she would rather the fault were yours than hers. She thinks, too, that it would be unjust of her to judge you harshly. Oh, God help me, that there should be complaining like this among nuns. May he forgive me for saying so, but I am afraid it has become quite a habit. I happened to observe this incident once myself. A nun began complaining about her headaches, and she went on complaining to me for a long time. In the end, I made inquiries and found she had no headache whatever, but was suffering from some pain or other elsewhere. These are things which may sometimes happen. I put them down here so that you may guard against them. For if once the devil begins to frighten us about losing our health, we shall never get anywhere. The Lord give us light so that we may act rightly in everything. Amen. Chapter 11. These continual moanings which we make about trivial ailments, my sisters, seem to me a sign of imperfection. If you can bear a thing, say nothing about it. When the ailment is serious, it proclaims itself. That is quite another kind of moaning, which draws attention to itself immediately. Remember, there are only a few of you, and if one of you gets into this habit... She will worry all the rest, that is, assuming you love each other and there is charity among you. On the other hand, if one of you is really ill, she should say so and take the necessary remedies. And if you have got rid of your self-love, you will so much regret having to indulge yourselves in any way that there will be no fear of your doing so unnecessarily or of your making a moan without proper cause. When such a reason exists, it would be much worse to say nothing about it than to allow ourselves unnecessary indulgence. It would be very wrong if everybody were not sorry for you. However, I am quite sure that where there is prayer and charity among you, and your numbers are so small that you will be aware of each other's needs, there will never be any lack of care in your being looked after. Do not think of complaining about the weaknesses and minor ailments from which we women suffer, for the devil sometimes makes you imagine them. They come and go, and unless you get rid of the habit of talking about them and complaining of everything except to God, 
you will never come to the end of them. I lay great stress on this, for I believe myself it is important, and it is one of the reasons for the relaxation of discipline in religious houses. For this body of ours has one fault. The more you indulge it, the more things it discovers to be essential to it. It is extraordinary how it likes being indulged. And if there is any reasonable pretext for indulgence, however little necessity for it there may be, the poor soul is taken in and prevented from making progress. Think how many poor people there must be who are ill and have no one to complain to. For poverty and self-indulgence make bad company. Think, too, how many married women, people of position as I know, have serious complaints and sore trials and yet dare not complain to their husbands about them for fear of annoying them. Sinner that I am, surely we have not come here to indulge ourselves more than they. Oh, how free you are from the great trials of the world. Learn to suffer a little for the love of God without telling everyone about it. When a woman has made an unhappy marriage, she does not talk about it or complain of it, lest it should come to her husband's knowledge. She has to endure a great deal of misery, and yet has no one to whom she may relieve her mind. Cannot we, then, keep secret between God and ourselves some of the ailments which he sends us because of our sins? The more so, since talking about them does nothing whatever to alleviate them. In nothing that I have said am I referring to serious illness, accompanied by high fever, though, as these two, I beg you to observe moderation and to have patience. I am thinking, rather, of those minor indispositions which you may have and still keep going without worrying everybody else to death over them. What would happen if these lines should be seen outside the house? What would all the nuns say of me? And how willing would I bear what they said if it helped anyone to live a better life? For when there is one person of this kind, the thing generally comes to such a pass that some suffer on account of others, and nobody who says she is ill will be believed, however serious her ailment. As this book is meant only for my daughters, they will put up with everything I say. Let us remember our Holy Fathers of past days, the hermits whose lives we attempt to imitate. What sufferings they bore, what solitude, cold, thirst, and hunger, what burning sun and heat. And yet they had no one to complain to except God. Do you suppose they were made of iron? No, they were as frail as we are. Believe me, daughters, Once we begin to subdue these miserable bodies of ours, they give us much less trouble. There will be quite sufficient people to see what you really need. So take no thought of yourselves except when you know it to be necessary. Unless we resolve to put up with death and ill health once and for all, we shall never accomplish anything. Try not to fear these and commit yourselves wholly to God, come what may. What does it matter if we die? How many times have our bodies not mocked us? Should we not occasionally mock them in our turn? And, believe me, 
slight as it may seem by comparison with other things. This resolution is much more important than we may think. For if we continually make it day by day, by the grace of the Lord, we shall gain dominion over the body. To conquer such an enemy is a great achievement in the battle of life. May the Lord grant, as he is able, that we may do this. I am quite sure that no one who does not enjoy such a victory, which I believe is a great one, will understand what advantage it brings. And no one will regret having gone through trials in order to attain this tranquility and self-mastery. Thank you.